Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have another guest on the show and I am speaking to Amber Romaniak, an emotional eating, digestive and hormone expert who helps professional women achieve optimal health through mindful eating, self-care and overcoming self-sabotage with food. Her podcast, the No Sugar Coating Podcast, has a million downloads, over 300 episodes and is listened to in over 88 countries. She was featured on TV personality Whitney Port's podcast and has also appeared on local television 50 times in the last three years alone. Go Amber. Amber overcame her own emotional eating after gaining and losing more than a thousand pounds and spending over $50,000 on binge foods and spending five years balancing our hormones and digestion. Now she helps others achieve body freedom so they have the confidence and health to create amazing lives. So in this episode, we're going to explore the highs and lows of Amber's journey in fully healing her own relationship with food and overcoming emotional eating to reaching the point where she is experiencing the food freedom she has today. We're also going to delve into exploring food fear, how it's caused and what fuels it and keeps it going. Amber's going to discuss how you can move towards eliminating food cravings that are often so rife when you have a disordered relationship with food. She's going to talk about why weight loss can actually lead to yo-yo diets and fluctuations in weight and how getting hooked on a weight loss journey can fulfill a perfectionist obsession where it's extremely hard to win or feel good enough. Amber will also reflect on the importance of self-care in the healing journey through prioritizing your own needs and setting firm boundaries in place. So much valuable content here. So excited to be talking to Amber today. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Amber. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Harriet. I'm so excited to be with you. Oh, so Amber, could you introduce yourself, please, to the listeners? Yeah, so my name is Amber Romaniak, and I'm an emotional eating, digestive, and hormone expert. I am located in Canada, and I help support women all over the world to really make peace with their bodies, their relationship with food, and then all of the, you know, healing and balancing that comes along with that. So hormone imbalances, gut issues, cravings, blood sugar, inflammation, and, you know, weight struggles, body image mindset. There's so many beautiful pieces of this puzzle that fall into place when we get on this journey. So that's what I do to support my women that come to me. And I've had my business now for almost nine years And it really was birthed through me struggling with all the things that I now support my clients with. Mm. So could you tell us, Amber, a bit more about your healing journey? Yeah, definitely. It's quite the journey. So essentially about, I would say, oh my goodness. Well, ever since I was a child, I struggle with my body image and food. So a couple of just like big highlighted life experiences that I think led me to this path were when I was five, it was my first day taking the school bus. And as soon as I got on the bus, like I was just so excited to make new friends. And then all the older boys called me ugly and fat. And then everyone just started making fun of me. And I think that that made me feel really insecure I thought, well, it must be true because all these strangers that don't know me are saying it. So I really took that on as my identity. And then 
growing up, like everything that I did always had a food connection to it. And part of that was because my mom, who was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis before I was born, there was a lot of things we couldn't do together. So I think for her, a way to compensate was with food and making sure we had food with everything we were doing. And she also had a food addiction for her entire life. And so I think just like innocently inherently taking on her behaviors and mindsets as well, like all of these things just accumulated as I was growing up and then really struggling with body image through teens. And you start watching music videos and Hollywood and movies and comparing yourself and making yourself wrong because you don't look like them, even though we're not taught that it's all photoshopped and edited and it's not even real. And so we really get hard on ourselves as we grow into women. And then in my early twenties, the binge eating really hit hard and it really hit hard because I really got into restriction and exercising two hours a day and I was losing weight really fast to hit my quote unquote goal weight. And I got there really quickly, but then my cycle started disappearing and I became more egotistical and picky about my body and more arrogant. And, and it started to actually feel really difficult to maintain. And so you know, it was like a switch flipped and I went to a barbecue one night and they had all these things that I, you know, ice cream, cake and chocolate and s'mores and burgers and all these things that I was like restricting because I wanted to attain this weight. But that night I had a little bit of everything. And then it just like triggered this switch of this flip. And then the next thing, you know, I'm on the way home from this barbecue, like buying my own ice cream cake and like eating as much as I could until I felt sick. And then the next day restricting and going to the gym to try and make up for it. So that was my first memorable binge was I was about 21. And then from there, I gained like 60 pounds in four months, the binge eating went completely out of control. And for me, it was like, you know, have stress or emotions or want to just numb out. And I'd go to the store, buy like a basket full of food and tried to justify going to the organic store that that was a better choice, come home, binge completely numb out for my reality. And I didn't really realize I was struggling with binge eating and a full-blown food addiction until about a year and a half into it when I started to really look at what was going on and why I was doing it. And at that point, you know, now I'm the heaviest I'd ever been. My digestion is just a disaster from all the binging and restriction and going through a period of binging and purging for a few months, which I was able to stop. And then from there, you know, people always say, well, what was your low point? Like what really motivated and inspired you to make change to deal with this. And for me, it was really the low point moment was the night after a binge. And I was just laying on the couch, just crying and so much pain, like physically, my stomach was just sticking out so far because again, I was so inflamed and emotionally, I was just really concerned for the state of my life because I was being so destructive to my body, mentally, physically, emotionally. And I was actually worried. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to hit 30, if I keep in this kind of behavior, I had always thrown the food in the garbage can after a binge to prevent me from going to eat more of it. And so I did that that night, but then an hour later, I was like, well, if this is the last time I'm going to do this, there's that all or nothing mentality coming in. I was like, well, I'm going to just have a few more of the cookies and be done with it. And so I dug through the garbage, ate the cookies. And then I was just absolutely so embarrassed and so full of shame and just sadness and shock and just thinking, I just ate out of a garbage. Like, who am I? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand how my life ended up here. I'm alone. I'm broke. I'm unhappy. I have a crappy job. I'm unwell. Like what is going on? But I really needed that moment to happen because I think what ends up happening is we're on this journey is we're so vulnerable. We're so scared. We just want to like lose weight and think that that's going to be the epitome of our happiness. And we don't want to be binge eating. We don't want to hurt our bodies, but the cycle of addiction is so easy to get into when we're in these kinds of states. And so for me, it was like the fear 
of the unknown of going on this journey of who would I be without using food as a coping mechanism? How am I going to figure this out? What do I do first? Like all the fear of that and overwhelm really kept blocking me from going down that path. And so I was tolerating all the suffering that was coming from the binging and the restriction and the negative self-talk and the physical pain and suffering. And so in that moment, that garbage can moment, what it did is it crushed the fear of the unknown. And I'm like, the suffering is now more significant. I cannot stay in this level of suffering if I want to have the quality of life that I do. And so I was just kind of like, I don't know what this journey is going to look like. I don't know how I'm going to figure it out, but I I'm going to figure it out. And that really is what inspired me to like get on the journey to heal my relationship with food and my body. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And it sounds like you sort of really hit a rock bottom moment, mm. didn't you? Kind of with the garbage can and just yeah. feeling just so hopeless, you know, at that point in time. Yeah, it was very significant. Like I can vividly picture it in my mind, like sitting in my little apartment, my little blue garbage can, just bawling and just absolutely broken. And you're just so scared and you feel so alone. And I didn't want to tell anyone because I didn't think anyone would understand. And if you're being judged, like there's just so much emotion, you know, that comes along with it, whether you ate out of a garbage can or not. Like, even if, you know, you just feel guilty after eating half of a chocolate bar, like those emotions hit hard and they're very heavy and they consume they consume you. And then you have no like space to be present and enjoy the present moment because you just feel like you're so stuck in this like food jail and this, you know, restriction and diets. And I have to look a certain way and it can feel like really hard to get out of it, but it's possible. And once you start doing so, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So very true. So how Amber did you begin your own journey in terms of you know, beginning to turn things around and heal your relationship with food? Like, did you sort of access professional support or what does that look like? Yeah, thank you for asking. So I didn't access professional support. And part of it it was because there was this voice inside of me that was like, you need to figure this out on your own. And I just didn't know at the time that that was like my intuition and like this higher guidance that wanted me to figure out it out because I was going to be helping others. And I just didn't know that yet. And the other part of it was I did go once and see a psychologist and like poured my heart out to her. And I know there's incredible support and there's a lot of incredible, you know, people who are psychologists and counselors. But unfortunately, the one I saw essentially just told me to stop driving to the store and eating the food and learn how to love yourself. And that to me was a very lack of compassion empathetic response. And she had not been through binge eating herself. So while she had credentials, which was great, I think it's also nice when someone can really be warm and supportive because when you're in this vulnerable state, like you want to feel safe and you want to feel supported. And so maybe I was just meant to go through that experience to learn how I would never want to treat a woman who came forth to me. So for me, the first step when I started on my journey was learning about sugar because I kept losing control with sugar and I could not for the life of me figure out why. So I started to learn about refined sugar and that it was 10 times more addictive than cocaine. And that was giving me this huge dopamine hit, like a hard drug and how it was impacting my blood sugar and fueling my cravings and increasing my cravings. And then I started to read about the gluten in wheat and the casein in dairy, which are two proteins that are very inflammatory and that are also exciting the same parts of the brain, these opioid like receptors as heroin or hard drug. And I, cause I could never figure out why do I eat a piece of cheese and then want to eat all of it? Why do I eat bread? And then I want to eat more. It's because I was getting these highs from these foods because my dopamine levels were so low. And so that really helped me feel like, okay, 
There's nothing wrong with me. This isn't my fault. There's more than meets the eye. And then I really learned a lot about the food industry and all the corruption and all the ingredients that I just personally don't think should be legal for human consumption and put into food that are being put into food to give us these pleasure responses and these highs that fuel food addiction. And the food is cheap and it tastes so good, but then you feel like absolute garbage afterwards. So that all just blew my mind. And then I started to change the way that I ate, consuming less refined sugar, less wheat and dairy. I personally decided to make that decision because they weren't making me feel good and they kept fueling my binge eating. And then as I reduced them, I did start to feel somewhat better. But then I realized that the binge eating was very much emotional when I still wanted to binge on like bananas or nut butter, like really nourishing foods. And so that's when I went on the more emotional part of the journey, which was realizing I didn't love myself. I had this void, this lack of self-love that I was trying to fill with food, starting to understand all the different things that were triggering my emotional eating. And there are many triggers. It's not just, I get sad and eat a pie and of ice cream. Like that's one triggers to be sad, but fatigue, lack of sleep, dehydration, negative emotions, taking on other people's stuff, associating, eating, watching TV. Like there were so many triggers that I had to build awareness around And then I also realized I was not good at coping with stress. I had no healthy ways to cope with stress and I really did not handle it well. And so I started to step into self-care, different breathing techniques, meditation, EFT tapping, yoga, you know, nature, energy work, like all of these things that had always I'd been interested in, but never really gave much energy to. And so as I built this self-care routine, I started to you know, sit and feel my emotions and realize it was safe to do. So nothing bad was going to happen if I felt them and identifying my triggers and catching negative self-talk. I ditched the diets. I stopped weighing myself. And over time, this whole evolution helped me overcome the binge eating, overcome the food addiction, build balance with food, build a mindful relationship with food. And then I started healing my hormones and gut because once I finished binge eating, of course, that took a massive stressor off the body. And so it took me about five years to balance my digestion and hormones because I was so invasive on my body. It doesn't take that long for most other people, but I was figuring it out from square one. And then the last, and I mean, it's always evolving, like the emotional journey, not with emotional eating, but with like other blocks and limiting beliefs is always evolving. And so is the spiritual aspect, like discovering my intuition, discovering I was sensitive to energy, discovering I was feeling and taking on other people's stuff. And that was triggering me to emotionally eat and how to manage my energy and how to set healthy boundaries. And so it's just been a beautiful unfolding, all of that, you know, that started 12 years ago. And it's really helped me create this beautiful business and like healthy relationships with others and like just such a beautiful quality of life because I'm always just doing my deeper work now. And it's so empowering to do so. Mm. But it sounds like what a journey, Amber, and I have <laughs> real respect for you that you have navigated that yourself. So I think that's no small feat, is it, to have explored all those different areas and have really have obviously taken that on yourself and have you worked very holistically in your healing. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that. And I think, you know, now when I look back, I see kind of why I went on the journey on my own. And of course, now like everyone knows about what I went through and all of that stuff because I share it. But I think, yeah, like each of us has a path. And for some people, it is definitely to seek support. And for some, it's maybe you do some on your own and then you get help or you, some people are just meant to do it on their own. And I just, yeah, I think that we're all guided, right. To like that, what is most in alignment for us. And the beauty of it is now like with podcasts and with 
like being able to coach people online and access support online. And like, there's so many beautiful avenues that you can explore to like amplify or help you on your journey. But yeah, it's just so interesting from the beginning. This voice is just like, you're going to figure it out. Just trust yourself. So I listened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it does sound like, yeah, that kind of voice of intuition that you experienced, you know, early on and sort of tuning into that actually was really great. You were able to sort of trust that and then walk the path. (laughs) Yeah. And part of it was like blind faith. I'm just like, I know Mm. this isn't meant to be my life. I know that there's going to be something that unfolds from this, but it is, you have to trust and you have to trust in the invisible and the feeling and the knowing. And I think that's something that really gets crushed and snuffed out when we're struggling with our body image and, you know, any form of emotional eating or binge eating, because it puts out our light and then we don't have as much access to that. Mm. Yeah. So very true. So Amber, I'm really interested in terms of, it sounds like on your healing journey and healing your gut, looking at kind of food addiction that, you know, you really worked on your relationship with sugar and you sort of cut out gluten and, you know, looked at kind of dairy as well. I mean, what's quite interesting in terms of the way I work personally is more towards a sort of all foods fit model and, you know, really trying not to kind of demonize food, obviously to kind of promote health you know, to put good stuff in your body, but also to help people find that kind of really peaceful place. But I also do really acknowledge like with all of this, there's there's so much nuance in it. And I know for many people, and it sounds like it was very true for you, that your digestive system had really been very impacted. And you're probably getting a lot of, I imagine that IBS kind of irritable bowel syndrome kind of, you know, issues from taking in so much sugar and gluten and dairy. So I just wonder if you could just talk a bit more about that and almost kind of like where you are today, if you still maintain that kind of staying clear of things like sugar and gluten, or if you have come to a place now of being more integrated, now you've done that kind of gut healing journey. Yeah. So for me, one of the biggest, and like, you know, with my clients, I don't make them necessarily cut out those things, but the addiction was so severe that for me to gain traction and have those foods in my house was not working. So that's why I first decided to start minimizing my intake because the addiction was so intense. And if I had any of it in my house, I was going to it and then completely losing control. And so because I had such a severe addiction and so do a lot of the women coming to me, that's where the like, okay, what's going to help you gain traction? Is it swapping out refined sugars for natural sweeteners? So you don't get as big of a dopamine hit and then you don't want to lose control. Is it swapping some dairy products for dairy free so that not only do you not get that high anymore, but you know, we can give your digestion relief. And so that's really, you know, why I decided to embark on that path for some women though, like they don't have to cut them out because they're not having such an intensive addictive response, or maybe they're not, you know, impacting the digestive system. So it really varies for each person. But for me, I felt so much better not having them or like minimizing my intake of them. And even after healing my gut. So it's so funny because yeah, the quote unquote diagnosis was IBS, but what I've come to discover is that's just a BS diagnosis. And what IBS really is, is a pool of symptoms that the doctor doesn't know what to do with you and what's going on. And it's really a series of imbalances in the digestive system with hormones, with what we're eating. And once we address each one of those, and we learn how to, you know, cope with our emotions in a healthy way, we can actually gain full relief from that because I did. And 
anyone who comes to me with gut issues of any kind usually has the same kind of response and not necessarily with eliminating anything. And if we do, we do it slowly and we add another thing. So they actually don't feel restricted at all. But I still currently, my hubby and I, we eat minimal gluten, dairy, refined sugar, because we feel better. I also really believe in energy and frequency. And to me, when I eat more sugar, eat more dairy, eat more gluten, I can feel my vibration drop. I feel the brain fog come on and I don't like feeling foggy. My intuition isn't as strong. My channel isn't as open to download the information to share with my clients and audience. So I we've chosen and we've adopted this lifestyle for like 10 years and we just feel really good and optimal. And then when we notice if we start having more of those other things, whether it's from a trip or wherever we go, we just don't feel like feel puffy and brain fogged and kind of low energy. So for us, we've really cleaned up our bodies and that's the guidance we receive. However, everyone has a different way of doing it. But now that we're really fine tuned, we just trust our bodies and the signals that they give us. Mm, yeah no well thank you for sharing that and I do really respect and appreciate actually that everyone's journey is very different and I really hear as well like when you've perhaps been in that place where you felt such a strong addiction to certain foods and then when you have eliminated them and then you're experiencing this kind of clarity and better energy etc etc that you know it makes sense probably that you're going to stick with that yeah but yeah it's just really interesting I mean I think from my own experience, there would have been a time where I would have said I felt was addicted to chocolate and cakes and sugar and all <laughs> the rest of it. Today, for myself on my journey, I have very much embraced the all foods fit model and I'm very much embracing intuitive eating and really balancing kind of health and pleasure. And for me personally, that does include all foods, I guess, as it sounds like with the all foods fit model. So yeah, it's just interesting, isn't it? I think it's great that we can just have this openness and sharing and just appreciate actually that everyone's on a slightly different journey. And it's so important to find the path that really resonates and fits for you. Exactly. That's the key is it's for you. And it's to really understand, you know, what's going on in your body and why if you're having certain symptoms or you're continuing to go back to emotional eating, there's obviously something there to look at. And I think especially in the beginning, people aren't in tune with their bodies. They don't know how to nourish their bodies properly. They aren't aware of the behavior. And so I think that's where it's so important to learn about your emotions and your mindset and what's triggering you, Mm. because ultimately like that's what's governing and fueling all of this. And so if we don't deal with the emotions and the mindset and you don't fill the void, well, then what's really going to change? Like, cause this is, I've seen this before too. And some people are like, so amazing at intuitive eating, but if you are trying to intuitively eat, but then you're triggered all the time and you're losing control with food all the time, like there's deeper emotional work to do whilst you learn how to figure out what your body actually needs. Yeah, so very true. And could you say a little bit more maybe about some of that kind of deeper emotional work and maybe some of the things that could be triggering people? Yeah, definitely. So the deeper emotional work is the part that I find most want to avoid. They'll pay for the meal plan. They'll pay for the trainer. They'll go see a naturopath and get testing and done and hop on a bunch of vitamins but then none of it works because they're not addressing the root issues that are really going on, which is feeling insecure, feeling unworthy, not feeling good enough. And then what that fuels and amplifies are a bunch of patterns and behaviors that don't support our greatest good, like people pleasing, 
perfectionist mentalities, all or nothing mentalities. I've got to prove to everyone that I'm good enough because I don't feel that within myself. We get caught up in external image and body image and I have to look a certain way. Once the scale is a certain number, then I'll be happy. So instead of us taking and building our worth within, we put it outside of ourselves with the number on the scale, our clothing size, with how people feel about us if we do good things for them. And then we're busy chasing our worth and validation because we put it in others and that is exhausting. So we must work on building worthiness. We must work on setting healthy boundaries, learning how to say no, asking for help, you know, dedicating time to self-care and slowing down and regulation of the nervous system because the more grounded and present we are, the less likely we're going to be to want to go and self-sabotage with food or become critical of our bodies. It's also important, I think, that we work on undoing diet mentalities because there's so much learned behavior from diets. And unfortunately, diets feel the perfectionist mentality. In order to gain X result, I have to, you know, take X steps to be perfect on this diet to lose the weight. And so then it's like the diet's like, you should eat this, you shouldn't eat this, carbs are bad, fats are bad. You can only eat this many calories a day. So women are taking on all these limiting beliefs and learned behaviors from all these diets and things that they're consuming for content. And then at the end of the day, they've done so many and they're like, I'm so confused. I have no idea what to eat. And then, you know, they go from restriction and then they can't attain the restriction and the quote unquote perfection. And then they're falling deep into more emotional eating and self-sabotage with food, right? Because the all or nothing mentality is a huge self-sabotage because you're either like, I'm going to be hundred percent on my clean eating, or <laughs> I'm going to be falling off track because it's been a stressful day. Or people think they don't have the willpower. It's got nothing to do with that. It's that restriction doesn't work, but then they're falling deep. The other way the pendulum swings into emotional eating, rebelling, eating all the things that they quote unquote, weren't allowed to have on the diet. So the way that we stop that is by ditching diets, you know, debunking those diet mentalities and learning how to build a mindful relationship with food from an emotional level and a physical level. So I think it's so important that we work on balance in our lives. And that's of course going to look differently for everyone, but we do need time and space open to calm our nervous systems, for self-care, to work through our emotions, to start looking at our limiting beliefs and looking at our triggers. If we think we're just going to like be the hustle, go, 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 and that you're going to be able to heal in that kind of a mentality, it's not going to happen because you do need to make yourself a priority on this journey. And this is all baby steps. It happens one step at a time. It doesn't happen overnight and that's okay. You're literally rewiring years of patterns and habits in your brain and and rewiring your subconscious mind. And that takes time. But the beauty of it is you take the time to do it. You have it for life. You are free for life rather than consumed. Yeah. And it's so very true. I mean, I just think I love the fact that you're just talking about kind of accessing like the soothing system and like calming down the nervous system and doing the self-care I know from my experience as well that so many people that struggle with eating disorders and disordered eating, they're kind of stuck in sort of fight flight, aren't they? Or sort of striving on this endless treadmill, doing, Mm. doing, 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 doing. And maybe the only self-care left has been a bit of over-exercise or turning to food, whether that be restriction or binge eating or emotional eating and actually being able to sort of step into that self-soothe, self-care place and slowing things down is just so important isn't it when people are on that healing oh. journey oh my gosh it's so important well and and we're not robots like our body is not a machine and we've just been taught to go 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 and like 
if you're not hydrating, you're not nourishing your body, you're not resting, you're not dealing with your emotional, you know, stuff and you're in self-sabotage, like, do you really think you're going to stay healthy? Do you really think your digestion is going to be optimal? You're going to have the energy, the mental clarity, the sex drive, your cycle is going to be normal, right? You're going to right? like, it's just, we're so conditioned for quick fix. But then when it comes to understanding that, like taking a bunch of supplements is not going to fully resolve all of this. And you have to actually take time to do the deeper work. There's discomfort, there's fear. It's like, Oh, I don't know. I want it to change now. And it's just, can you instill patience? Because our body is not a robot. It's just like, you couldn't put sand in a Ferrari. So why are we continuing to ignore our body's even basic needs like hydration? And, you know, some of my clients are like, I like hold my pee because I don't want to have to go to the bathroom because I have work to do. And I'm like, yeah, but you're literally continuing to put other things in front of your basic needs. You know what I mean? So it's so important that we really shift the perception that we have of our bodies, because if we want them to be optimal, we do have to take care of them. Yeah, and no, really true. And how do you support your clients? Well, I know when I work with people, sometimes I think people often can kind of grasp this on a rational level that, yeah, this is a good idea. I should be taking better care of myself. But sometimes like putting that into practice, it can be incredibly challenging, can't it, in terms of people feeling they're unworthy or they don't have permission or if they're self-caring, it's somehow indulgent or lazy. So how do you sort of frame that to a client to really help them to take the first baby steps? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So the first step is taking or deciding like what is just a small window of time, like 15 to 30 minutes a day that you want to start spending doing self-care and a couple of five minute breaks through the day to just pause and start building awareness of your emotions. And if you're holding your pee, well, we're going to break that now. And we're going to ensure that you set a boundary so that you are, you know, taking the time to go and do whatever, whether it's water or you need to pee or you need to get a snack. And so from there, because they've started saying, okay, this is the window of time, right? That I am going to do self-care or I'm going to just take five minutes and breathe or whatever it is. They start to become aware of how much they've been ignoring their bodies. And what's so great about that is they realize, wow, when I stop and take the five minute water break and hydrate, or I go to the bathroom, I'm not getting as bloated and I have more energy. And they start to like snippets of feeling better start to show up. And that's what amplifies the wanting to continue. They do the 15 minutes of self-care and go, wow, I caught my emotional eating trigger and I was able to work through it and not go to food. And now they have a boost of confidence and now they're not going to bed bloated and in guilt. And now they're like, wow, it's safe to feel my emotions. Okay. I'm looking forward to my self-care. I'm looking forward to that meditation that made me feel so relaxed. So it's easing in and then building the consistency with time, but blocking it off and declaring that I'm a priority is the key. Even if the time is changing a bit, that's fine. But the boundaries are so important. So I do a lot of boundary setting with my clients as we start working together and we start with, you know, the easy little boundaries. And then the ones that may seem really big or daunting, we work towards so that they believe they you know, and they can muster up the courage to set the boundaries, whatever they may be, if they're more difficult boundaries. Mm -hmm. So that's how I kind of get them into it. And then they start wiring in the patterns in their brain. And then they want to do it because they are feeling and reaping the benefits of it. They emotionally feel better. They physically feel better. They feel more of a connection to their inner voice. They feel more empowered. And I think we've spent so much time disempowered with our ego, that negative voice and control that it feels like a huge relief when we can take that back. Mm, 
So good to hear that. I know what I'm always saying to my clients is exactly what you're saying there. It's just that there's little baby steps, isn't it? And beginning to build a little bit of momentum so you can get that feedback when you feel encouraged and empowered to take another step. But it's got to be underwhelming steps sometimes, hasn't it? So it just feels doable and not too much. Yeah, it is. It's really about baby steps because this is the problem. Most of the women who are have been conditioned, right? That, oh, I'm going to go all in and like lose 30 pounds in a month and like stop binge eating and do all these things. And and we put too high and big of expectations that are unrealistic versus, and then when you fail, you want to quit and give up because, oh, that's not working. So that's why it's so important for us, I think, to like baby step and like get into one thing, get consistent with that, then add in another, because otherwise you just end up overwhelmed and then it's easier to just give up. So true. And I know you sort of talk a lot about sort of like the sort of perfectionist obsession and how that kind of often drives people, doesn't it, to kind of follow like the kind of perfect plan. But then, of course, it's impossible to sustain. You fall off it and then you completely (laughs) go the other way. So would you say as well, in terms of helping people to almost dilute that perfectionist obsession and work more towards being in the kind of shades of grey, good enough place? (laughs) Would that be kind of using similar tools to the ones you've just sort of talked about there with like doing those little baby steps and, you know, just building up things slowly? Yeah, totally. So you've hit the nail right on the head. So what I like to do is help my clients build awareness of what is that perfectionist mindset? What is the ego chatter like in the mind, right? So an example is you want to get into self-care, but your ego's like, well, there's no point because you're not going to do it right anyway. So you might as well not even bother. So we want to start working on that and going it's okay. There's no right or wrong way to do it. I'm going to figure out the way that works best for me. I'm just going to try different things and see what feels good. Right. So that's the power of just easing in, but we have to build awareness around what triggers us to go into perfectionist mentalities, what the chatter in the mind is like, and what it's like when we're in the behavior of perfectionism. And it's a lot of like, if I can't do it perfectly, I'm just not going to do it at all. And we shut down. So I walk them through processes on how to build awareness of what it feels like when the perfection takes over and then how to take their power back and go, I'm safe. I'm going to just try this. I'm going to see how it goes and there's no right or wrong way. So they start to reassure themselves. And then eventually the perfectionism falls away because they realize how exhausting it was and how it wasn't serving them. And then we start to build new affirmations and new identities with their bodies, the way they're taking care of themselves with food that don't involve perfectionism. And as they build their worth, they realize perfectionism is not part of that. Proving people pleasing is actually not part of that. And the more worthy they feel, the more in their power they feel, they're not in those behaviors at all anymore because they see that they were actually just negatively impacting their well-being on all levels. Sounds really helpful the way you break that down and walk your clients through it. Yeah, it's a process. And so I would say, you know, it it takes months to completely shift that. It's not something that can be shifted in a week, but I start introducing tools and support to help them because awareness is the first step, just like with anything. And I'm sure you can agree with that. Like if we're not aware, what can we change? What can we do if we're not in understanding of what it feels like if we're in perfection versus power? What does it feel like when I'm triggered versus not? We have to build that awareness first. Yeah, I know. Awareness is key, isn't it? And it's often frustrating, isn't it? You know, I think with so many things we want to change, we want to get to that solution, don't we, straight away? But awareness has to come first, doesn't it? And often, yes, 
you know, yeah, I can think, I think you're my own journey, like many times where you think, oh, I'm doing that thing again. How frustrating, but I'm yeah. doing it with so much more awareness this time. <laughs> exactly. And celebrate the awareness. Like, so mm. this is the other thing I find we don't celebrate enough because like, oh, that's not a big enough change. I'm not here yet. And it's like, try not to focus on what you still want to do and focus on celebrating. Like, I'm so grateful that I know what the, the the sensation in my body is of when I give my power away to perfection or when I go into negative self-talk or wow, I'm actually aware of this trigger now, like celebrate that. That's huge. Yeah. Celebrate the awareness. Definitely. Yeah. A key message. <laughs> yes. So Amber, many of our clients really want to lose weight or focus on weight loss and they obviously want to heal their relationship with food but it's really hard to put that kind of weight loss thing to one side so how do you support your clients with that to sort of help them to be able to sort of step more into the kind of healing place and maybe to park the desire to lose weight or kind of manage that in a constructive way Yeah, that's a great, thank you for bringing that up. That is huge. So yes, many of the women who reach out to me are wanting to lose weight. And so what I do is I have a conversation with them and explain to them, weight is a protective mechanism. Your body is putting on or hanging on to weight because she does not feel safe. And then I explain to them many of the potential reasons why the body doesn't feel safe and wants to hang on to protection because the last two things that the female body wants to do when there's all this stress going on is reproduce and lose weight. So examples of weight loss blocks or reasons the body wants to protect are emotional eating, binging, binging and purging. These are very stressful on the body, digestive imbalances, inflammation, liver overwhelm, gut floor issues, not having daily bowel movements, improper detoxification. And then we go to the hormone health. If there's certain hormone imbalances going on, I'm all for miracles, but it's pretty much next to impossible for the body to release the weight because of the impacts on the metabolism. So if you have really intense estrogen dominance, which I went through underactive thyroid, which I went through really high cortisol or adrenal fatigue or burnout, which I went through, it's really hard for the body to let go because she's in such a heightened state of stress. And then we have elevated inflammatory markers that can make it more difficult. That's just like you know, some of the physical and then the behavior with food. And then we have the emotional, which is like traumas and like, I'm afraid to be seen. So I put on the protection subconsciously so that I'm not seen as much, right? There's inner child work to do. There's negative self-talk to work on because if our cells are listening to our thoughts and are going, oh, she's being hard on me again. I don't feel safe. She's going to hang on to protection boundaries, the people pleasing, the perfection, the regulation of the nervous system. So there are many, as you can hear me sharing this, Things that can cause the body to hang on to weight, not eating enough, not eating, you know, the nourishing foods and adding in the good fats and the proteins and the carbs. So yes, there's a opportunity to lose weight. But what I like to do is say, let's look and shift the focus to getting curious. Why does my body not feel safe? Why does she want to hang on to protection? And the bonus is as you focus on that, instead of, you know, continuing to be hard on your body because she isn't letting go that, you know, what we resist persists that will often just like cause us to gain even more weight. So if we take the focus off of that, which takes some time, but we then focus on the full healing journey, the bonus is when you're not even focusing on it, it will come off and it will come off with any form of diet restriction or exercise. And that's how, what happened for me. That's how I released the 60 pounds. 
And that's how my clients do it. They're like, oh my gosh, my clothes are fitting looser and I didn't even realize it. Wow. Like I know my body's let go because my rings are fitting looser on my fingers. So it's absolutely beautiful to see them do it that way from love and also crush the limiting belief that is you have to eat less and exercise more to lose weight, which is so archaic and not sustainable. No, thank you for explaining that. Cause I think it's just such a common concern, isn't it? That's kind of brought into yeah. the consulting room when people start to address these issues. Yeah, it's huge. But what we have to realize is the fight with the body and the weight is part of the reason we're stuck in this cycle in the first place, because we've been so conditioned and almost brainwashed that like you have to look a certain way to have love and success and be happy, which is false. And you'll chase the way forever. If you think that, you know, chasing, you'll be chasing happiness forever. If you think that that's the be all end all, but you have to go on the journey to understand why it's not to shift it. Yeah. And they're really true. And it it is a journey, isn't it? Because I think diet culture is just incredibly powerful, incredibly seductive, incredibly in your face at every turn, isn't it? It is. I mean, but there's a reason for that. And there's a reason it's a multi-trillion dollar a year industry because it's about making money. They don't yeah. care about your feelings and your well-being. They know you're going to keep coming back. And I believe there is such a thing as diet addiction and people fail mm. on the one diet, they get sad, and then they go online and search, you know, best new ways to lose weight. And they get a dopamine hit reading all the success stories and watching the video. And then they pull out their credit card in desperation and make the next purchase rather than actually looking at what's really going on. So you're right. It is very seductive and their marketing is very shiny. And they obviously know how to in my opinion, like really feed off of the vulnerable and insecure who are just want to be happy and want to feel good in their body. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to help educate and help empower women to step away from diets and to really go on the wholesome journey, the holistic journey where they're working on the emotions, the mindset, the physical, like the whole meal deal, because that's, what's going to really give the healing. Yeah, the holistic healing is just vital, isn't it? And there's no shortcut to that, but it's so worth it. It is. It's everything. It changes your life. Mm. So Amber, there are obviously like so many different strategies and skills and self-care things that you utilize Mm -hmm. today to kind of support yourself and keep yourself in this sort of optimum place with your energy and well-being. But what would you say are your kind of three top tips for kind of maintaining that today? Mm, Yeah, great question. So for me, it's just a non-negotiable. I have the time dedicated for it and I don't miss it because I know how vital and valuable it is for my energy, my emotional state to hold and support my business, my clients, et cetera, and to maintain my health and well-being. So I've just, now I've been doing self-care for like 10 years. So it's the patterns are ingrained in my mind. So I get up, I do self-care. I do a bit more self-care before I start with my clients. My weekends are very immersed in self-care because I just love the way it makes me feel. And I love how much it supports me. And so that's the first part. And the second part is I'm, whilst I have my favorites that are like my foundation, I follow the intuitive hit when it's time to try something new or explore something on a deeper level. So like Right now, I'm really working on tapping into my energy field and what that feels like and how to expand it and how to, you know, manifest with more ease. And that feels really good. So I think it's just then being open to trying new things here and there. You'll have your favorites, but it just refreshes the self-care. And I think also just helps you to, you know, deepen your connection with your body, which you're always going to be deepening. And I think the third one is 
be willing to get messy in the self-care. Yes. Self-care is about, you know, helping you feel more grounded in peace and happiness, but like, it's also about letting out the tears, screaming into the pillow, let the negative emotions out, let your body feel and process them and know that you're safe to go through that experience. Because I think sometimes we can think that self-care is just about rainbows and sunshines, but it's also a place to feel and process and release what you don't need to hang on to anymore. And to get to the place where you can feel safe and open doing that is a craft to work on because we often think, I'm just going to like do the self-care to like make myself feel good. But if there's something stuck inside, you want to get it out. Mm. No, I love that. Just the whole real permission there to get messy with the self-care and to release those blocks, let those emotions out. It's absolutely, isn't it? Part of the process. Like the rainbows and whatever you said is part of it too but we need to release those blocks we need to let that negative energy out whatever it is otherwise yeah we're not going to be able to fully heal and be fully authentic in ourselves yeah exactly so amber where can people find you if they want to find out more about you and all this great work you're doing Yeah. So if anyone wants to go to my website, it's amberapproved.ca. I have a free emotional eating quiz there. I host all my podcast episodes there as well. If you do want to reach out, there's an opportunity to book a consultation and pay a small fee and connect and talk about support. And I have tons of online programs. So everything is there. You can also find me on Instagram. It's my name, Amber Romaniuk, R-O-M-A-N-I-U-K. And I have my podcast, the No Sugar Coding Podcast, and it's also available on all podcast apps. And I go deep into everything we've talked about today, plus a lot more there. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'll make sure we put all those details in the show notes. And I'm sure there'll be many of the listeners will be wanting to get in touch or like, you know, tap into some of those great resources. Yeah. And thank you for having me. And I just want to say what you're doing is so needed and what we're doing is so needed because every single person who wants support resonates with somebody different, or there may be some beautiful tool that you have that I don't, or someone else doesn't have that. That's like the missing piece of the puzzle. So, you know, I just think it's so important for women to just be like, you know, explorers on their journey and to explore different modalities and methods because it's, yeah, it's just so important. So thank you for the work that you do. Oh, well, thank you, Amber. And, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and for just sharing everything that you're doing. And, you know, it's just wonderful to hear about your own journey and your own healing and just your depth of expertise, I think, across such a broad range of, you know, the healing kind of subjects, you know, I think I can absolutely hear that you've done that deeper work, you know, and it's wonderful just to see you helping and supporting so many people. So thank you very much. And I'm completely with you as well about how different people can support different people. And we're all on our own individual journey. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I think I'm very much for that. I don't think there's one size fits all. And I'm very much for celebrating all the wonderful work that different people do in this field to help people. So yeah, thank you so much. And thank you. One just quick note to add is, yeah, like there's so many women and people on this planet that need this support and this kind of healing. And so like, you know, there's probably like more of us needed even in the world to help with that. Right. Because it's just significant, the level of emotional eating and body shame and all those things going on. So there's plenty for everybody. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did and do go and check out all of Amber's info in the show notes. 
If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. For further support with your relationship with food, do go to theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.